Welcome back to another episode of the Lipstick and Cowboy Boots podcast. I'm Cassie Hausauer. Today I'm talking with barrel horse trainer Riley McKenzie. She's a 2018 Canadian Derby champion. She is a WPRA money earner. She's been to the Wilderness Circuit Finals. She's been to Houston. She's been in the top 30 in the world standings and she's been to the Canadian Finals Rodeo two times. Riley, how are you doing this morning? Good. Good. Is it snowing up in St. Paul? No, this is the first day in St. Paul that the wind is not blowing 50 kilometers an hour and the sun is out. You know, I don't really like living in like central to northern Alberta. I, I would much rather live in the south. But the south has that wind constantly and I'm grateful that we don't usually have it, but it's this has really been annoying with the wind that we've been dealing with. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's been really hard. <laughs> It's not a good time. Uh, are you keeping busy? Are you and Deb keeping busy during uh, all this fun stuff? Yeah, we, we're business as usual. Um, I've been riding every day in the, in the snowbank, so that's a little bit of a change with the COVID. <laughs> but um, other, otherwise, it's been, it's been pretty busy. I've, I've been working 12 hours a day still. So, Holy um, smokes. Yeah. So what were your plans for this spring? Like, I know so we had planned to do this podcast and you were to have gone a few places and we were going to talk about it. But yeah, so tell us what your plans were for the springtime. Yeah, and, and that would have been a, a fun, a lot of fun, too. Um, so so originally the plan was to go to the Ruby Buckle in Salt Lake City, mm-hmm. South Jordan, and, and then to go... To Washington, we were going to go to um, Valley Girls in Walla Walla, and and we had thought about late entering Moses Lake <clears throat> uh, with the sand cap maturity, mm-hmm. and obviously all of that canceled. So so we're sitting. <laughs> yeah, gosh. Yeah. How many How many are you riding this over the winter, and I guess this spring? Um, so over the winter, on a on an average, I had twelve horses. Uh, day to ride and and right now I do in um, February and March we I had 15 in um, so that was pretty busy yeah yeah that would definitely keep you busy how so folks folks are sending your horses to you and then how many of your own do you have Uh, I have two of my own well I had three in the spring and I turned one out the uh, we're just gonna hold them off at least five and we turned him out to let him grow and just mature a bit, and he grew from fifteen three to sixteen two. Oh my god! Side of the gun. <laughs> he's he's a monster. Wow. But just just on my own, I only have two to ride gotcha. uh, daily. So there's there's ten to thirteen uh, from other people. Wow. So what do you look for in a prospect when you're considering taking one on as your own? Uh, my own. First of all, I look um, at the at the bloodlines, and and with the bloodlines, I try to just do a lot of research and and make sure that that line's going to suit me. Yeah. Further further yeah. on, um, and confirmation wise, I I want them to kind of have a level. Want them to travel level, but I also want their back plane to be pretty level, and then their um. So I draw one line like on the top of the horse yeah. and then um from their knees to their hocks I want like a straight line across there as well and mm-hmm. I find that helps 
get um, like a low hawk and, and horses that are set even in the knees usually don't have like hikey front end movement okay. and and the, those horses suit me better you know they, they just travel nice and flat and, and they seem to go places um, horses that are real high steppy in the front end usually um, don't have quite the stride mm-hmm Interesting. And what, what bloodlines are you drawn to? Um, so I, I like Frenchman's Guy, Streak and Six, um, First Down Dash, and Firewater Split is kind of what we narrowed down, what we want, what we prefer. What you prefer and you know what works for you. Right. Right. And so um, when you're looking at those bloodlines, um, they probably are more along the lines of a free runner. So when I ask you if you do, do you prefer a free runner or a rady horse and why? I'm sure I know which it is, but you can go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I kind of prefer both at at, at, at the same time. Um, I want a horse to run freely. I don't want to have to be um, like constantly kicking on him and getting him to keep moving forward right but I also want to work that when you um when you put him on a barrel he wants to turn that barrel you're not constantly drilling rake into them or um you know getting pulling from the eye to get them to turn really um I know I know there's a quote out there that um says you know I can I can get a fast a slow horse to turn but I can't make it fast right and I would just prefer, ideally, not to have either one of those problems. I, just, I want a, I want a horse that comes to work and wants to turn and wants to run, and and those are like those. That's what makes a horse unique, essentially. Definitely. How how would you describe your training style if someone were to ask you what it is or what it's like? Um. <laughs> such a complex question. I know. <laughs> every, every way you look at it. Um, so fundamentally we we I do a lot of collection and and get the horses to rate naturally. Um, use their ability to teach them to rate. And um, one of the one of the aspects that I think stands out in when you see one of my horses going down the line is how quick and snappy they are around a barrel mm-hmm. and we do lots of exercises to keep their feet going I think as time goes on I've gotten a little bit better on making them more sure-footed with that quickness rather than just them getting in there and scratching around it mm-hmm. um, which which makes them a bit more efficient too um, but yeah so so we just we, I, when work, people send horses to me, I usually take a week and I just learn about them and kind of learn their strengths and weaknesses and, and just take what they have naturally, like what God gave them, mm-hmm. and use that to make them the best they can be. You have had a lot of really cool horses over the years. Um, when do you know if a horse has that it factor like we saw with Dollar and JL and, and Ron, like how do you know they're going to be a great one like that? Um, first, most of, 95% of that is instinct. I just, I, great horses have a real spark about them. Mm-hmm. And so I look for that 
particular spark and and it, that's kind of hard to describe you know to, to give a magic formula on it and and horses that are going a bit more like um dollar was broke when i got him and ronald was broke broke to ride when i got him and um those those types um i just go off of feel uh, uh, great horses have a have a feel when you ride them and, and once you experience that you can recognize it over again you, you just know like mm-hmm. oh that that was that is there and i have a i have a customer working right now and he's super green he's <laughs> he's so green it's been a, a little bit of a challenge in the in the snow with him but i called his owner and it, all he can do is walk and trot he's not going very very far along at all right now but he is just he has that it factor you know when he moves he just moves with a purpose and he he learns and everything about him is is what it takes to make a good horse and and so i've i've gone i've gone to places and and rode a horse and in like great horses usually have really light feet and they they just feel magical mm-hmm. and and yeah. that's what that horse feels like and I rode a horse to try, to try him out as a prospect, like a hundred feet, and came back and told the people, like, he's not what I want. And they're like, well, you haven't even, you haven't even rode him around. Like, you don't know, you don't know what he is. I'm like, I, I, I know enough that he's not what he's not for me. He's probably gonna make a nice horse, but he's not for me. He's not gonna fulfill my aspirations down the line. When you know, you know. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about Dollar. Um, how was he bred? What were his quirks kind of like? And what made him so special? Um, Dollar was the son of Dr. Nick Barr. And um, he was, I think, the third out of third last crop of Colt. He was extremely quirky. He was a one, one or two-person horse. He didn't like strangers. <laughs> he didn't like to be brushed on. He didn't. He didn't like a lot. He just went to work, and you put him away, and you left him alone, and he was happy as long as he had food and water. <laughs> just park him, and 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 to ride, you know, during the week and stuff. He was he was pretty hard to keep fit because he he was he didn't like flat work, so he'd have little fits and. Um, he ended up getting on an exercise regime where I just pony him out of the truck to keep his cardio and <laughs> and put him on a walker and otherwise he just made runs and um, he 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 buffed from the time he was six till the time he was eight or nine um, so so he was tough and, and but he was he was just a warrior you know he would run on mud, hard ground, deep ground, soft ground, big pens, small pens. It, it just didn't matter. And you could, um, you could haul him all the way to Texas and unload him. And he would run like he just stepped off the trailer, you know, to go to a local jackpot. So I think that part of him made his, his helped his career as a pro rodeo horse. Yeah. He was a pretty freaking cool horse. Um, he took you to the top five in the WPRA, and that was in 2011. And then just before Cheyenne, you guys tragically lost him. Um, ah, the things 
I hate saying that, like, oh, the things you could have done, like, I say that all the time with Stella, but you get to have those great horses, and then you get to build on it and move forwards. So, and then JL kept you in the top 30 the rest of the year, which then took you to the Wilderness Circuit Finals, Washington Tour Finals. It got you into Houston and San Antonio and the, your first Canadian Finals. So he's a pretty special horse, and JL was a pretty great backup horse to have at the time. Yes, yeah, they were, they were, it was pretty amazing to have both of them at the same time. Yeah, definitely. So what was it like to rebuild then after Dollar? Um, it was, it was a challenge. I, um, I was, that would have been my sec. this would be my second rebuild in my lifetime. Yeah. Um, when I was a junior, I ran a, a big gilding. I was 12 or 13. I ran a big gilding called Badger and, mm-hmm. Um, he was phenomenal. That, that, in my opinion, is the, the greatest horse of all time that I have rode. And, and he's what set up my professional rodeo career. And I filled my permit on him. He, he had lots of, um, arena records. He held the arena record at Camrose till, for the very finals till they moved out of Camrose. That's cool. Um, yeah, he was, he was, he was he was the he was the greatest one. He's what he's who taught me how to win. He's who helped me recognize those great traits to find Dollar in jail. And mm-hmm. and so when uh, the circumstances were a bit different in each part, right? We we lost Dollar very suddenly, kind of like as, as fast as he came on, it was done. So that was. Um, a bit of a, a heartache, you yeah. know, there was, there was so many, um, goals that were, that were in such, you know, they were at my fingertips, like to make the NFR and, and to go to those places, but, um, in due time. Yeah. Um, so at, at that point in my life, I had, um, I had personal tragedies going on. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I had more of an emotional rebuild. I didn't have the heart to, to keep going. You know, you had said I, I had made the CFR on jail and, and uh, I had made it again the following year and, and she was winning. There was nothing, <clears throat> you know, that, that was out of the ordinary there, but I, I didn't want to go. I didn't, I, I loved to rodeo and I was just miserable being at one. So I had to go sort my own, stuff out and, um, and, and just get back to a good place emotionally. And, you know, um, you and I are friends, so you know, I sold everything. Yes. Um, I had sold my trucks, my trailers, my saddles, my horses, all of it. And I think there was a moment there where I might not have barrel raced again. I, I think I have that crossroads moment and mm-hmm. everybody around me told me that that was not going to happen and, and I had to come to terms with it but um, I ended up uh, so that's when I started looking into like new bloodlines and, and I had to get new horsepower but the horsepower aspect I had done before the the emotion part of it I hadn't so, um, so once I got my self sorted out. I uh I went I watched um a bunch of Futuri 
all year. We're, we live in a day and age where you don't have to travel and invest money to, to do research, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I watched, I think, every single fraternity that was live webcasted, and then I watched the NFR, and, and I watched the PFA, and, and I just made notes on which line led to, the, to where I wanted to go, you know. Um, some some bloodlines mature you really well, and then you don't really see them in the rodeo world. And some bloodlines don't mature you well, and you see them later on in life. And, and I needed one that was going to lead down both paths. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and with Dollar being like the third, last bull crop out of Dr. McBard, like David Flow was the last, and he was just a few before her. So, so that that option to just go buy another Nick Bar wasn't really there. Right. <laughs> so we had, we had to go and like dig around and decide mm-hmm. what was going to work. And and I wanted um, I had been told by people Dollar wasn't very big. He was only fourteen two, and uh, he ran real big, and so people thought he was huge, but he wasn't. Um, <laughs> but I had been told. You, you got to get something bigger. Like those little horses are good in their spot, but they need things to be in their favor. And, and now where I'm sitting and with the experience I have, I, I can agree with that. You know, um, I just find little horses need everything in their favor. They need to have the ground, you know, good draws. And not that they can't compete. It's just that there's more factors that affect their performance level and so one of the things I wanted was um, a bigger horse and I was wanting something 15-3 and then well we got Ronald and he's a little <laughs> bit bigger than that <laughs> um, so, so I, the lines I narrowed down were, were a streak of cling far on the rock and then so streaking sticks and, and Frenchman's guy is proven to rodeo and security on, on both fronts so Ronald is uh, Frenchman's guy freaking six cross, and um, I always like Brittany Posey's stitch horse. So, mm-hmm. uh, so the streaking six line I was drawn to right away, and we're just lucky that a streak of fling exists, and you yes. know you have access to breach is something that directly by streaking six. Yeah, and so great, and so great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You, uh, you spend a lot of time south of the border um, in your career, whether it's been rodeoing or going to those faturities. Um, what do you notice about the south of the border that they're doing differently uh, with regards to training, events, breeding? What are they doing kind of that maybe north of the border we, we haven't been? Um, so bloodline breeding-wise, they they just haven't nailed down to science. You know, they're crossing proven mare, proven barrel horse mare to proven barrel horse deaths. And, and when you cross a, a, a winner to a winner, your chances are you're going to get another winner. And, and lots of those colts coming out on on those crosses have just been incredible from the get-go. They're just, they take the best out of both. And uh, I, I feel like part of it, they, they treat barrel racing as an industry 
and mm-hmm. not as a hobby. So, so the business aspects of it are a little bit different. And, and as a trainer, they get their colds a bit sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still a common thread to get a cold in the fall of the security year and get it ready for spring. Where down there they have, you know, those colds since they were two years old. Yeah. What has been uh, one of your your favorite fraternity to probably go to down south of the border? Uh, definitely. I haven't been to a ton. We, we were going to go to more this year because I have a really nice fraternity cult. But um, so, so far, the BFA has been by far the greatest event I've been to. And, and in my opinion, it's one of the toughest barrel races out there ever including rodeo i've been to some big rodeos and i was still i the bfa atmosphere still affected me it's just it's something i think you need to experience and and help you grow as a competitor um they they get those cold frames so fast it's it's unbelievable that's cool actually um you know what you're you're ever gonna go again you let me know and i'll just come down there and i'll shovel stalls That sounds like a plan. I can get you to drive because I know you can survive with me in depth. Exactly. Perfect. That's so funny. Um, So you've barrel raced your entire life. So, of course, course things have changed over the years. But what changes in in the sport of barrel racing or the industry of barrel racing have you noticed the most? Um, Yeah. I mean, even if you go back and look every five years, there's one common denominator, and that's just that the horse the horses are getting faster and yeah. better, you know. Like, you go look at the NFR from 2010, and I think, like, a 13.6 was the arena record. Mm-hmm. And then in 2015, it was a, a 3 or a 4, and, and now it's a 13.1. Like, every every batch of colts is just getting that much better and faster, and, and um, people are training more efficiently and, mm-hmm. and just making these horses that much better yeah it's really exciting to watch actually um yeah you have an excellent mental game in my opinion um I've got to ride behind you so I know that and you've helped me with my own um tell me about tell let's okay not tell me tell everyone about your mental game and how you stay focused and um do you have any tips or tricks to keep people's nerves in check um so I had just uh, did a little blurb on the Cloverleaf connection yes. on, on a few points of my mental game, which people can can look into. But um, you know, there there's step, there's different um, parts to it. So so those are just good for general focus and, and mental ability. Sometimes you know when you have to like go out and you know you have to lay down a run especially in the maturities you can kind of play the average game a bit so you know how fast you actually have to be mm-hmm. and and in those situations I I take my middle finger and I flip it off of my thumb and I'll do that in my warm-up and and it, for me that is my like twitch <laughs> <laughs> and and it just I get it takes my stress away it helps me focus I'm I'm worried about my fingers instead of what I have to do in the arena mm-hmm. and 
the biggest thing is, is that no matter where you are in your career, whether you're starting out or you're advanced or <clears throat> whatever, everybody has been embarrassed at a barrel race at some point. Like, yeah. you, you just have to learn to accept that it is going to happen. Horses are going to duck off. They're going to run off. They're going to fall down. You might fall off. Like, things, things. The possibility of things that are going to happen are up there, and and once you accept that, and you know you can always go to another barrel race the next day, well, in theory. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's the that's the biggest thing, and and somebody has been in your shoes at that point, and so um, it's important not to beat yourself up about that embarrassment you know um every time you go out and do something whether it's good or bad you, you've learned something from that so just remember the lesson and all of it and yeah I like yeah. that a lot what so since you talked about some embarrassing things what's been your most embarrassing run you've ever had <laughs> um I so I have had so many I have fallen off I have done all of those things I just said <laughs> and, and I you know whatever we, we just carry on but I, I do have a story to share that was embarrassing and I find it very we laugh about it all the time but um, so when I was like 20 so 2010 I was like 20 or 21 I don't know I had gone to some I'd gone to Utah for the summer rodeos I'd gone to Salt Lake and when it was still just WPRA, not what it is today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'd gone to Spanish Fork and Ogden and Nampa and a couple other ones. And, um, I had driven from Nampa to Ogden and, and that's about a 12 hour drive. And I drove across maybe it's eight hours. I don't, it's in there. Um, I had drove across in the day to get there for the perf, and I so I pull into Ogden in a park, and I almost all in the time to the trailer to see he didn't self tent. Um, and I unhooked, and I went to town to get groceries and fuel, and I came back, and this man comes up to me and he says, "Oh, while you're gone, your horse just got loose, and um, I like we caught him. He's he's a little bit hard to catch, so <laughs> and." and Compton is just like an open parking lot along the freeway with a river around it. It's it's so it the fact that he got out and and, and didn't get hurt or something was a blessing. No kidding. At that point, and so my mom had called me and and she said, you know, was checking in on me, make sure I have food. I'm a bad habit of not eating properly when I'm on the road and. Um, <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, no, all's good, but. I'm pretty sure Fred Whitfield just broke my horse in the parking lot to catch him. (laughs) (laughs) So we always laugh about that story. It's so funny. That is hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. What about what about um your most favorite run over the years? If you could pick one. Yeah. So I've had about six near perfect runs over my career on on different horses but I think my favorite one that that I can recall was from Airdrie I won permanent a year in like 2003 or 2004 on Badger and 
and he it had rain in surgery and there was standing water and he went out and just laid a run out that was absolutely unbelievable and I think I won second or third and you know I was the one of the only ones that placed out of the mud and and that run is what built my permit that's great yeah those are those would be memorable and great runs for sure. Um, okay, yeah. on to on to the trailer must haves. What is in Riley McKenzie's trailer that she must have? You would be surprised what we fit in that trailer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I always pack my own water or or water so that we have fresh water right at the trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, I I have slow feeding hay nets. Because Ronald eats us out of house and home. Um, I, I pack like <clears throat> leg stuff. I use a lot of mud, like poultice mud. And uh, DP has a product that that's like it's phenomenal. And you can mud them, and it dries, and it rinses off. And every time you wet it, it reactivates. So cool. you can mud them down. <clears throat> yeah, it's super awesome, and and it does, you don't have to worry about it scolding like some of the mud. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I I have a couple pails of that in there, and I always have a bed kit for like um, bandaging and, and stuff. Ronald's um, quite bad for overreaching, mm-hmm. so so we have to have gauze and bed wraps to repair him. Where was that uh, uh, vet kit when we were in Texas? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was <laughs> And uh, another thing that I always pack with me are my barrier tools yes. and uh, and and shavings. You know, lots of lots of times when you travel, you can get into the stall, but they don't have shavings. They don't supply the shavings, so we always pack three or four bags mm-hmm. just in case we have to go night somewhere, and and then they have a bed to to lay down in. And, and I'll, I'll also throw down shaving at the side of the trailer if if the like if we're self pinning and um, the ground's a bit muddy or wet or something I'll I'll throw a bag down and just let them sleep on a dry bed. Yeah. Um, yeah. My the tools, I just pack like a hammer and a nail <laughs> and <laughs> clippers just in case I have to pull a shoe or you know tack tack a nail like do a quick repair job. Which is handy, if that comes in handy. Yes. So many times you see girls posting that they're looking for a farrier, and you can just do it yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that that's the skill that I, I really appreciate having. Heck yeah. Uh, what supplements um, are you using that you're really liking and you're seeing great results from right now? Um, so I have I have slowly integrated into the CP product. Mm-hmm. And, um, Jen, Jenny Massing sells them in, in Alberta, and, and she's really great to deal with. Um, we use uh, the Daily Lung, uh, the Total Impact 2, and, and on some of the uh, cold seeds, um, gut check on them. And I, I just started using vitamin E, and uh, I found that the vitamin E has really been beneficial to my horses who, who don't have any issues. You know, like you know, they don't have PSSM or EPM or, or anything like that. But it, but it helps them their muscle recovery. Mm-hmm. So I, I find you know be, before we were locked up that 
they could make a run and just from being on the vitamin E supplement the next day, they, they felt like they could make another run of equal caliber where, I mean, I deal, I have a lot of babies yeah. to deal with. So, so when they make a run, generally the next day, they're pretty tired. <laughs> they're given, they've given a pretty good effort. So, so to ask two back to back out of them, is sometimes hard on them. And, and I, I found that really, um, really helped. Well, good. Yeah. In, in that term. And um, I feed I Purina Trimax to about 60% of my horses. And then a couple I switched over to Hoffman's Pro mm-hmm. Fat and Elite. Yeah. And, you know, we just, we kind of feed whatever works for whatever horse. So um, some of the horses responded better to the to the Hoffman's. So we put them on that and they're happy and they love it. And yeah. some of them are Trimax and they're happy on that and they love it and my cats eat both so they're shiny <laughs> and fat <laughs> well good Riley do you have do you have any um other points or anything else that you wanted to talk about we've we've burned through my questions and I'm really excited about this interview I think this has been awesome this has been awesome I don't have very much else to talk about I've been locked up so <laughs> <laughs> been the most excitement I've had in three weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad I could help you uh, get out of the house and into the truck and uh, to have some excitement. (laughs) Thank thank you so much for coming on and doing this. I really appreciate it. Not a problem.